It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Chris Johnston, who uh, is... Are you on your laptop or are you on your phone? Because you're using your phone to take a photo of what's going on. Do you do this on your phone or do it on your laptop? This is laptop, but here's the deal. is I got a note from my dad, Cobert Papa, and he's, yes, wondering wh- he's wondering why we didn't have a Monday episode. And uh. so... And then, you know, I, I explained to him why he got he gets the personal treatment. He's like, well, you should put that on Twitter because he's like, there's more people than me or they were wondering where the episode is. So, yeah, I'm taking a photo so that I can tweet to let everyone know we're going to drop on Tuesday today. I know you've sent out yesterday, Julian, but I guess, you know, maybe uh, Cobra Papa didn't miss the miss the memo. Here's the thing. Like, I'm not sure if you realize this, but uh, you have a much wider reach online than I do. <laughs> So I understand Cobert Papa's point. <laughs> well, I know he follows you, so that's not the issue. He just probably didn't. He probably missed it. He doesn't live as online as like everybody else does these days, you know? You um, know. Probably so. has other things to do, you know, like get ready for the Stanley Cup final. Like so many other millions of hockey fans are like we are this week. Um, do you remember actually when we did our season prediction show uh, who you wanted in the Stanley Cup final. You didn't give a full matchup, but you did give one team. Really? I do, do not I do not remember. We both said the Colorado Avalanche would make the Stanley Cup final. My matchup was Colorado against the New York Islanders. <laughs> well, one or two ain't bad. Yeah, that's so bad. <laughs> yeah, we were very big on uh, how this had to be the year for Nathan McKinnon. It still could very well be the year for Nathan McKinnon. I mean, this year could mean everything to him. Well, win or lose, it's still the year. I mean, obviously he wants to win, but they've, they've done what they're supposed to do. Like there would be no shame. Like, I don't know why maybe an avalanche fan will just bristle at this suggestion, but I don't think there'd be any shame at this stage if they lost in this series, mm. um, especially if it went down, if it's six or seven games and you lose to a team winning for the third straight year. I mean, there's going to be, regret about that always because it's a missed opportunity of something special you know i noted when bruce cassidy did his media he said what's the one thing he thinks about the most from the bruins he said game seven 2019 because the bruins didn't win it in the cup final so like the stakes are high but you know i think all things considered the way they've roared through these playoffs the way they performed through the regular season the avalanche have been what what they've met the expectations put it that way now it's gravy if they can go lift the thing i guess but 
the thing is, it's it's very rare. What Tampa Bay is doing is extremely rare in the National Hockey League. To It's one thing to go to the Stanley Cup. It's a whole other thing to go to the Stanley Cup three consecutive years. And I, if I'm an Avalanche fan, I'm maybe not bristle, maybe not bristle at the idea that like, you know, if you lose, you know, maybe you still met expectations, but I'm living in fear at the fact that the Avalanche might not ever reach that peak again. Like what if something happens and they don't come back the year after? What if it comes time for signing all of these players and signing Nathan McKinnon and you're not able to craft a team that is good enough to go back to the Stanley Cup final? That's me being extremely paranoid, but I don't think I'd be the only person if I were an Avalanche fan thinking this. Well, I think, okay, sorry, I'm just finishing this tweet. I'm not trying to be rude. No, that, that's totally fine. For anyone fine. watching on YouTube, like, why is he not even looking up? You no, know, I figured, you're, I figured you're either writing a tweet or you are breaking some news story. You are allowed to do that as long as it is for the greater good of the show. I've got to be a good son. My dad doesn't ask for much. If he's asking for a tweet, I want to give him a tweet, you know? Do, do what you got to do, see. To, to your earlier point, I think it would be wise – for any team that's ever in a Stanley cup final under any circumstances, young, old, whatever, to believe it could be their last chance. You know, the lightning might be conditioning us or into thinking that this will be normal or like we, we might watch 20 more Stanley cup finals and not see this. Um, we might not see anyone get back, back to back years, even like the, the, the way this system is set up in the NHL is to, is to erode your talent base. It's to make it hard to keep a team together. It's, it's, it's searching for parity. I know it doesn't always do so, but that's literally, in my view, how they've structured the league. And now with their 32 teams, I mean, obviously there will be teams that remain good year after year after year, but Washington's been good year after year after year after year after year, and they've been in one cup final. Unfortunately for them, they won the thing in 2018. Um, Right. But like, I'm thinking like any team that gets there should approach it like this could be it. And I actually think the lightning are viewing it that way too. Like I, as good as I still think they're going to be good. But, you know, they're probably losing Andre Palat this summer, who's been mm-hmm. a huge sort of one of their second tier guys, but he's been a steady, constant presence there for years. Um, you know, you just don't know. Everyone gets a year older. I mean, you still got Andre Vasilevsky. You know, I, I, I'm not predicting the lightning are going to fall off a cliff, but you, you just never know if this is even their last shot. So, you know, do you know what's better than winning two? putting a third ring on that finger brother. And so I think the avalanche mm. should, should have a lot to play for, but I, the lightning also have a lot to play for. That's, that's what makes it so compelling. We're going to have a lot of thoughts on who we think is going to win this series and just all these other different, you know, elements for each team. I'd like for us at one point uh, to make arguments for why Tampa will win or why Colorado will win. And there's a whole bunch of other news and notes we want to get to, but of course we got to get to uh, sports interaction. But before we do that, one final question before we bring on David Bastel. Is there a storyline in this Stanley Cup final, Colorado versus Tampa Bay, that you're interested in the most? It could be the most obvious thing. It could be something that not as many people are talking about. But is there one storyline, CJ, that you are interested in the most when it comes to this Cup final? It's kind of the Corey Perry thing, honestly. And, you know, Corey Perry's basically been in the NHL the, the entire time I've been a reporter in the league. Like, we kind of overlap timeframes. And so maybe I'm, you know, just more interested in his career because I've sort of dealt with him a lot over the years. But first of all, he won a cup in 2007 when he was a young player. Mm-hmm. And then now to be in his third straight cup final in which he lost to Tampa the last two years and, and then joined the uh, the Blue and White Express trying to get that cup and, and to be there. You know, I think it's that's kind of a cool one. Um 
you know, I, I sort of like the old guy storylines, right? We talked about Ray Bork, I know, on a recent episode and, and him finally winning a cup with the Avs. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Corey Perry has got to be it. I mean, Patrick Maroon, it's just like mind-blowing. This guy's been part of 15 straight series victories, especially being the, the kind of player he is. Um, like, what a run he's been on. Like, like, we should take him to Vegas if he gets a fourth straight cup. Like, we just want to <laughs> stand, we just want to stand near that man and, like, feed off the energy or, or what have you. So, you know, those are two that jump to mind. I mean, hopefully Andrew Cogliano gets to play in the series. He sort of fits a similar build to Corey Perry. I mean, at one point was on his way to maybe being an NHL Ironman, has been in the league forever. You know, he was part of the the, the, the Stars team that lost to Tampa as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for the older players trying to get their cup because obviously for them, it's not just that on any given year a team might fall off. I mean, they're just down to not a lot of time left in their careers. They're, they're well on the back nine now and trying to, trying to get it done uh, before they got to join us in the, in the media ranks. I, I am into the Nathan McKinnon, you know, opportunity, the attempt at him finally being a champion, him saying last year that he's been in the league as long as he's been in the league and he hasn't won shit. Like he's been fueled by that for so long. And now he has the opportunity to win the Stanley cup. I've been on record saying, uh, I, the worst hockey take I've ever made in my life was that Jonathan Drouin would be a better player than Nathan McKinnon was in his draft year. I will own that for the rest of my life. And I am so happy I am wrong because we are looking at a player who has the strength, size, speed, like a bull in a China shop, and he has vaulted himself into the top three players in the National Hockey League. And if he wins that damn Stanley Cup, it will be one of the coolest things just because of the will and determination he's put himself through. He will enjoy all the in and out burgers he wants to after the fact, but I am really into this Nathan McKinnon storyline. That's my pick. Great choice. And let me take you to a moment. I literally will never forget this. Yes. Second floor conference room, JW Marriott at the LA Live 2017 All-Star Game. And, and they roll out, you know, they bring players to the pods and it's, you know, it's the All-Star Weekend. There's not usually a lot of it's not like it's not like guys are getting grilled there, if you know what I'm saying. And Nathan mm-hmm. McKinnon's there, and it's a morning availability. And like I just remember, he starts off by going, "I bet you're surprised to see a member of the Avalanche here." <laughs> I'm like, "What is this?" And that was the year. I don't. I should have looked this up before the pod, but that again, we won't let facts get in the way. These are these are rough estimates because I didn't even go back and read his quotes. But I just remember he was just was like opened his soul because the ads were on the way to a terrible finish that season. He was saying like he didn't feel like he deserved to be at an all-star game, that no one from the organization could be recognized. Like this guy wears things hard, right? And, and he's been in the league a long time. And he's still a younger player um, in a sense. Like I still forecast a number of good years for Nathan McKinnon in the future. But, you know, he's he's sweat for this. He's seen as, you know, a guy who's become a good friend of his, Sidney Crosby, a great friend, actually. Bring the cup home to Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia, three times. Now he's got a chance to do the same. Uh, although I know that those two kid each other, but whether uh, Nathan McKinnon actually lived in Cole Harbor or just a little bit over the, the town <laughs> line, but you know what? A, it would be a cool story for him, um, given what he's been through. I think that's this is why the, the cup is special to me, Julian. Is like it's hard to play in this league. Like as much as there's, it's great to be an NHL player. Like guys have to endure a lot. Losing is difficult. You know, there's personal injuries. There's ups and downs. I mean, even Nathan McKinnon early in his career as a first overall pick, maybe didn't pop the way he wanted to pop or the way people expected him to. And it took him a little bit of time to become this superstar that's before us today. And so, yeah, 
if if it comes to be the fact that it's you know Gabe Landeskog taking that cup and handing it to McKinnon, that'll be I think an iconic type of moment. And so your storyline is probably a little sexier than mine. I'm just sticking with the the old fourth liners and watching them try to grind out a cup too. Yeah, but your storyline is like I'm going for the obvious storyline. You're going for the one less talked about, which could still turn into a gem of a storyline. Like that's that's totally fine as well. Well, look, to me, sports ultimately about people in the end. Like, obviously, I love the sporting achievement. I can celebrate that. You know, I can appreciate to a certain degree the X's and O's, but, you know, I don't come from a background where my level of understanding is that. But I love the human stories. And and so, you know, what's great, actually, though, is that Nathan McKinnon is, is a great hockey story, but he's a great human story, too. And so, you know, that's that's why it's I, I like your suggestion maybe a little bit better now that I've had some more time to ruminate on it. Um. Just going to do like a little uh, suggestion here at this point before we bring on David Bastel. I would love nothing more than one year for us to just do episodes of this podcast at the Stanley Cup final. Like we're both credential for the final and we're just there just to do the podcast. And we can get some of those human stories uh, just, you know, be doing the media day and then bringing it up on future episodes. How about that? I like where you're manifesting things, bud. We're just we're just getting started here. Season one is winding down, but there's going to be a season two. We know that much. Oh, we know that much. And uh, hopefully before the end of season one, we will know what Jeff Carter's middle name is. Okay, time to bring on David Bastel from Sports Interaction. As always, this is 19 Plus. We ask that you play responsibly. And there is a link to Responsible Gaming Strategies in the description of this show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Siege, we didn't plan this before we got into the segment with David Bastel, but it appears 
we are picking uh, different teams to win this year's Stanley Cup final. I love it. I like this. This is I, fun. I like being on a different side of a bet from you because it's good to know one of us will, <laughs> one of us will win, but more importantly, that one of us will be wrong. <laughs> oh man, I wonder who that person will end up being. So what I, what I envisioned for this part of the show is that you know we discuss reasons why both Tampa and Colorado could win the Stanley Cup, and essentially as a bit of a preview here. Uh, so it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, you, you'll have your arguments for why Tampa will win and I'll come up with stuff for why Colorado will win. But we can, you know, go into it for both teams. So why not start with Tampa or unless you had another point you want to make? I just wanted to add quickly. One of the coolest yes. things that goes on before every Stanley Cup final, there's a Swedish writer named Per Bjurman from the Aftenbladet news group. And he gets he, he goes right across the hockey world and gets picks like he gets over 200 people that will respond, including active NHL players agents obviously media people the whole bit and i haven't seen i haven't seen the outcome yet i know he's got more than 200 responses but i picked the lightning there and so that was the first place i had to make a pick and so that's why i'm sticking with the lightning just let you know that that but honestly i would encourage i'll retweet it when it comes out but i would encourage everyone to use google translate and read that because it's so cool to see like nicholas lidstrom and matt sundin and all these swedish legends like actually going on record and picking one team or another and giving giving a reason why that sounds like an awesome idea. So please retweet that and I'll make sure to read that. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat here. Like I, I've had to pick the Colorado. I picked the Colorado Avalanche uh, to do damage throughout most of this year, especially at the beginning of this postseason. And as as engaging as, as as awesome as the Tampa Bay Lightning look, I feel like I would be betraying myself if I went against them. So it's really out of consistency why I'm picking Colorado. But I mean, it's not like I'm picking some, some really small underdog here. We're talking about the Colorado Avalanche, one of the more fearsome teams to play against in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's just the Tampa Bay Lightning have just woken up and they've turned themselves into the machine that we expect. Like, it's it's scary how good they look right now. Well, and what I don't think Tampa gets enough love for or hasn't got enough love for through this, this run of two, two straight cups and now a chance to play for a third is that they can really shut the game down. And Vasilevsky's awesome. I'm not taking anything away from his ability and skill. But I I think when the Lightning are playing their best, like they block a lot of shots, they protect that area in front of him, and they they don't tend to give up crazy numbers of high danger chances. Now, there have been exceptions in this playoffs, and I think it's relevant when we're analyzing what the series might do, uh, because, you know, the the Maple Leafs in round one pushed Tampa right to the brink. And I think one of the ways they did it is by using their team speed. You know, Colorado might be the fastest team on the planet. And so you would think there might be a recipe in there. And, you know, what the Leafs did generate is some odd man rushes and, and breakaway opportunities. Vasilevsky actually stopped a number of breakaways in that series, but Toronto put a lot of pucks behind him, uh, 24 in a seven game series, much more than you would have expected. And so, you know, to me, that's kind of the fulcrum of where this could be decided is, is, is Tampa able to shut things down the way they have so often in the past and limit those chances or will Colorado just be too much to contain? I, I really sort of fundamentally believe, you know, that's, that's the area where this will be decided where one team will gain an edge or the other, but you know, I'm, I'm picking the lightning mostly because I've just seen them really clamp down, really focus and, and make it difficult to score against them. And, and, you know, when they have a goalie like Vasilevsky, they don't need to score that much to win. They, you know, they won game seven against the Leafs two, one, they won a game seven last year against the Islanders one, nothing. Um, you know, as, as much as they have gifted offensive players, the lightning haven't outscored their problems the way maybe a team like Colorado can, if, you know, if they have any problems, 
Um, you know, we saw Colorado win what six, five game or eight, six game against Edmonton. I think yeah. Tampa's far more likely to, to win two, one, three, two. And, and I think that that will ultimately uh, give them a slight edge in this final. And, and, and an argument for Tampa, the goaltender they're going to likely go up against, obviously nowhere near the caliber of an Andre Vasilevsky, not even near the caliber of an Igor Shosturkin. Uh, the, the goaltending matchup is going to be very interesting to follow because everyone expects Andre Vasilevsky to be the guy. But I, I, I kind of envision a situation where it, it, if Darcy Kemper, if he's still feeling you know iffy, Pavel Francouz could go in, right? Like, I, I, there's a lot of question marks, I think, with with this goalie matchup on the side of the Colorado Avalanche, and and, and so much is going to be put on them uh, to deliver and and try to rise up to the level of Andre Vasilevsky. Good luck with that. Right. Well, the one thing though is Francois and Kemper both have put up great numbers as NHL goalies. We just haven't seen them on the stage. Like they haven't been under this microscope, this spotlight, and so there's that's why it feels a little less certain. Whereas. You know, you, you know, the stats about, you know, Vasilevsky and closeout games, you know, last year in the cup final was just, you know, impossible for Montreal to score on basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's where the difference is, but it, to me, they're not bad goalies. They're just, they're certainly not a better, neither of them is a better goalie clearly than, than Vasilevsky, but you know, the beautiful thing about sports and, and this cup finals, it's going to be played over what eight to 10 to 14 days you know, they, they, you know, one or both those guys might be better than Vasilevsky over a two week period. You know, it certainly could happen. And, and that's where this series will be decided. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think Colorado gives up as much here as, as we might be inclined to say, but they don't, though, neither of those guys has the same kind of presence as Vasilevsky. Like I think Vasilevsky is just so big in the way he moves around the net, like a cat, like he gets in a shooter's mind, before they've even taken the shot. You know, it's, it was like Carey Price at his best. I think that was a thing. It's just, if you were shooting on him, you just felt like there was nowhere you were ever going to beat him. And so, you know, there, there's almost a psychological thing at play that won't be in the minds of the lightning in quite the same way when they're, whether they're shooting on Kemper or Francois in the series. As of right now, as we're recording, so it's entirely possible you might hear different news by the time this episode comes out. But as of right now, we do not know if Nazem Kadri or Braden Point will show up in game one of this Stanley Cup final series. It remains to be seen when Nazem Kadri will be back, where John, where John Cooper is saying it's extremely probable we could be seeing Braden Point in this Stanley Cup final series. Does this not feel like a race between both teams to kind of figure out which injured center returns to the lineup first? It, it might be, but the, the problem for Colorado is that the Lightning are winning the race. I mean, it, if only just because... Braden points had more time to recover, you know, Nazem Kadri is only what 10 days since he had surgery on his thumb. You know, what I've heard on Kadri is that it's not completely impossible. He plays in the cup final, but you're looking at if it goes sort of six, seven games. So June 26, June 28, you know, give him another couple of weeks here to, to get back to health, um, be able to grip a stick. You know, when you have surgery on your hand, I mean, just controlling the stick is, is an important thing. And obviously for someone who takes face offs, who scores goals the way Kadri does, even who sets up plays like that, that's pretty key to what he does in terms of being effective. You know, I would think we're going to see Braden point in game one, not just in the series. And so that, that could be a huge sort of turning point. Um, one team likely to be without it's, it's, you know, an impactful center, another getting one back. Um, you know, that, that, that tends to go in Tampa's favor, but you know, we also have to see sort of what, what percentage point is playing. I, I think that if he feels he can go, it makes sense to put him in, Basically, at any any version of him is better than probably who is replacing him in the lineup. 
Uh, he's just that good. He's that competitive of a guy. You know, as much as we can rave, you can go back and look at his goal totals the last couple of playoffs. Like to me, where he makes a difference is he just doesn't take a shift off. He hounds the puck. Uh, he's he's a little nasty, even though he's not a big guy. I mean that as a compliment in, in the scope of playoff hockey. Like he, he you know, he, you know, you're out there against him when you're playing him and he's just unafraid to drive through the middle of the ice. And so I don't know if he'll be skating at full pop, um, given, you know, the area of his body clearly suffered an injury and was lower body injury. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I still think just what he brings to the team, his mindset, his attitude. I mean, think back to that game seven against Toronto Julian when he got injured. And he, he still sat there on the bench. He tried like a 20 second shift to start the second period. Couldn't do it. He almost was like in tears on the bench. He saw his teammates come over to like pat him on the back. But he like sat there like with his guys. Like, I just think he's in the fight with the Lightning. I think a lot of the Lightning's success, maybe their secret sauce is they're sort of all there's a, there's a collective will among that group that's special. I mean, obviously they have skill. They have top players at every position. Those guys can break games open, and that's why they've won. But I think they've won because of how they are as a team. Ultimately, that's given them a little bit extra in those tough moments. And I think Braden Point gives them a lot extra uh, as they enter a series like this one. So, uh, moving on from Braden Point to your Con Smythe Trophy pick, do you have a Con Smythe Trophy pick? Well, I can't. I can't possibly make one until I know. I mean, it might be Connor McDavid at this point. Oh, you're so you're not gonna you're not gonna try to do the prediction thing and be like, oh, here's why things gonna win. But wait, you mentioned Connor McDavid. Do you think there's like a stone's throw chance that even after this series goes, he could still win it? I don't know, but I mean, yeah. if we're if we're making it based on the first three rounds in totality, you, you could make an argument that he was the best player, the MVP of the playoffs. But his team didn't win the third round. I, I certainly don't put that on his shoulders alone or anything like that. But um, you know, we should actually maybe think about this. I, I believe I have a Consmite vote. And so I, oh. I don't know that I can even probably share what I'm thinking as this series goes along, but we'll have to think on that. Very I mean, fair. Mostly just because I don't want to betray anything. I don't want to like move, move the odds of, you know, there's, there's not that many people vote on that trophy um, each year. I think I've had a vote every year since 2013 on the Consmite trophy. It's like, it's the scariest thing. I mean, it's so important you actually vote in the middle of the third period that anytime the cup can be won really like, yeah so like if let's say one team is up three one in the series game five midway through the third period you have to vote no matter what the score is just in case it ends because they give it out on the ice right after right um so i, I probably will have to take a knee on sharing cons my thoughts mostly because I, I don't want to influence the voting of the other voters or you know i don't want to do anything you know, I'll obviously tell you after the fact who I voted for and explain why, but I, I think maybe I should keep that to myself too. We we should also, on that note, when all the NHL awards are are awarded, it would be cool if we could also kind of do something similar with your ballots, even though they are kind of public for at least most of the awards as far as I've seen, but it, it could be something we could think about uh, once all the different awards are out. Something maybe a, a week from Thursday show because the awards are, are going to be handed out during the cup final on Tuesday the 21st, I believe it is. So we could by that Thursday, we'll know if, you know, who won the hard, who won the Norris and the major awards. And we can go through kind of my thinking there. I love the fact that like, sometimes we'll just have like a break in the episode, just be like, Hey, do you want to do this for this episode? Do you want to do this? <laughs> well, life's busy. We don't have time to always think about it, but then the ideas pop up when we're talking. Right. So you, you get to see how the sausage is made. If you're, if you're a fan of the CJ show, because we, we just, we just tell you exactly where we're, we show our process and our results at the same time. 
nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with letting people know about the different production notes that get passed around during a show. Anyway, uh, for, you know, the Stanley Cup final, I have Colorado in seven. You have the Lightning in six. Uh, I don't know if we want to make this uh, any more sweeter. If we could just go off bragging rights for this, I'm good with that. But uh, I'm, I'm cool with just bragging rights. Yeah, if you if you have any funny ideas, you know, like the mayors that make bets and yeah, if you have any funny ideas, I'm willing to do a playful bet. But you know, we can also ruminate on it because our picks are locked in. We're not changing the picks no matter what happens no. in Game One Wednesday. So when mm-hmm. we're back with you Thursday, maybe we'll have the terms of the bet laid out. But uh, Julian's locked in on the Lightning. Sorry, the Avalanche, and I'm locked in on the Lightning no matter what. Exactly. All right. So there's a few other news and notes I want to get to, and we don't have to spend a long amount of time on each of them, but I kind of just want your takes on some of these different stories that have popped up in the last few days. Um, I'll start in Anaheim because uh, a report kind of went out there uh, from a friend of the show, Nick Alberga, uh, that John Gibson may very well want out of Anaheim. He's a goaltender who a lot of people were speculating over his future this off season. And now it looks as if he may be trying to force the issue. What did you think of the report that was out there? What do you think of John Gibson in Anaheim and, and his future going forward? Well, I'd say no one should be surprised that his name's out there. I mean, his name was out there to some degree last summer. I think Anaheim at least gauge where the market might be on it. And look what's happened in the 12 months since that time. Uh, you know, they, they have a new general manager, Pat Verbeek. So a new GM tends to bring a new direction and have a plan. And, and Pat Verbeek's plan isn't to win the cup next season. It's to build the, the Ducks back up to a spot where they have a chance to win it every year. And look what he did at the trade deadline. You know, he had Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, and Ricard Raquel all his pending UFAs. He did have some contract extension talks with those players' agents and ultimately moved all three for futures. So the direction that we've seen from the new GM is to to ship out older guys that have value and to start turning things over within the organization. And so I think all of that points to at least seeing what you might get for Gibson. You know, what's unique about goaltenders is they don't tend to, if you look historically, don't tend to get you a lot on the trade market. And so I I don't know that it's a slam donkeys traded or anything like that, but you know, in an off season like this one where you've, you've, had the lack of success, I'll call it, the Ducks have had the last few years. Uh, I think it, it only would make sense to see what you might get for a player like Gibson. And so I, I think that's my read on where things are at. Um, you know, I, I won't say 100% he's going to be moved, but, you know, having a conversation, there's no there's no harm in that. It happens all the time around the league. Like what what might it take to get player X off your team? You know, one GM says to another, they, they, they play that hypothetical game all the time. And, you know, it's also a year where we don't have – maybe a lot of marquee goaltenders on the free agent market. You basically have some version of Darcy Kemper, Jack Campbell, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, Billy Huso coming off a good year in St. Louis, but you know, it hasn't shown it over a number of seasons. This is really the first year he got to play a meaningful number of games in the NHL. And so if teams either strike out on those players or don't like those players, they're going to look to the trade market to, to bolster themselves with the position. And I think Gibson would be a great target for them. Uh, and I do think Anaheim's willing to listen. Modified no trade clause, uh, cap it of 6.4 mil uh, through 2027, 28 years old, a guy in his prime. I have to wonder if you are a team desperate for goaltending or if you happen to be a team that thinks it's not worth shelling out money for uh, a goaltender and, and deciding, you know what, we need another option out there. There may be a specific team I am trying to describe with that description, as bad as it might sound. But I, I have to imagine that there are teams who will, would be kicking down the door uh, to try to get a guy like John Gibson. Well, before we go any further, I don't believe the Maple Leafs 
are interested here. I don't think they're involved in this process. So I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's the team you're hinting at. I live in Toronto, so I know a lot of people locally have been hinting at that or talking about it on the radio. I, I, I for one reason or another, I, I don't see the Leafs as a likely destination if he's moved. Uh, but I, I also, the Leafs have been keeping things pretty close to the vest. You know, they've made a change uh, by not renewing their, their goaltending coach, Steve Briere. And so the conditions are there that I see that they're going to revamp their whole goaltending department at a coaching and organizational level. And I think that's very possible. They're going to have two new goaltenders at the NHL um, level next season. And so there's some big decisions to be made, but based on the, what I've heard, uh, it doesn't sound like Gibson is a target they have in mind. Shout out to you breaking the uh, Steve Briere story, by the way, that was you, right? It was. Yep. Pat yourself on the back, brother. It's all, it's always good to have some of those breaking stories. I know it's your job, but it's okay to, you know, pat yourself on the back. You got to stay humble, man, because you know that it's so hard to do it with any story. So you just know that it's a lot of things got to come together sometimes to, to, to make it happen. I mean, the teams are trying to break their own news. Obviously there's a lot of other great journalists out there around the league talking to GMs and agents and, you know, anyway, it's, it's nice when it happens, but um, got to stay humble. It's going to be busy next few weeks. It sure will be with the free agents, the drafts, and, where all these coaches are going to go. Uh, your former employer put up a really nice graphic of coaching candidates and possible destinations. And I know Frank Valley has been all over this as well. But Brett Barry Trotz, Bruce Cassidy, who we talked about in our last episode, Jim Montgomery, Peter DeBoer, John Tortorella, Rick Tockett, among the many coaches uh, looking for a job this coming off season. Have you got any reads on where some of these coaches might end up going? Well, let's go big picture. I think what held up the coaching searches initially was Barry Trotz, you know, hasn't been in a hurry to make his decision. Like he's got a lot of family stuff going on. Obviously it was a difficult year on the Island for him and he's got options. You know, I, I don't even know that he has to coach this year. I, I would expect he's going to, but you know, he, he was taking time with his own process. And I think that slowed it down because a few teams were interested in him. Then a week ago, Bruce Cassidy gets fired somewhat surprisingly by the Bruins and I do know there are teams out there that view Cassidy above trots if they could choose, you know, they could just have any pick of who they want. And so that shifted the dynamic as well, because no longer is it just trots watch. Now, now you got Cassidy involved. And then because there's right now, as we're recording this nine openings around the league, which is insane at the head job. No, I'm counting Edmonton and Florida in that who finished the year with interim coaches you know, who, who are likely to stay. But, you know, at this point, as we're recording, they haven't been confirmed as a full-time head coach. There's still technically nine openings around the league. There's a lot of crossover there. And so more than one team has interviewed John Tortorella. More than one team has interviewed Rick Tockett. And so my view of what's going to happen here is that somebody, don't forget Pete DeBoer either, you know, let go in Vegas right. and, and has a strong track record. Um, you know, I would expect that we're going to see him somewhere next season behind the bench. So I think that once one or two hirings happen and sort of names come off the board, that there will be a domino effect. I do think it's going to happen quickly. I mean, ideally the league doesn't like news to come out during the Stanley cup final, but you know, it's a 24 seven industry world these days. I think some of these coaches will actually ultimately be hired during the cup final. And then you'll see a wave of them before July 7th, when we're in Montreal for the draft. And so, you know, it's getting closer, but there's so many different moving pieces and dynamics um, that, you know, will be very interesting to see first of all, where Cassidy lands and second, where Trotz lands, because those guys will have their pick of multiple jobs. And then all the teams that sort of finish second or third and, the, and you know, trying to get those guys, we're, we're going to have to pivot and go in other directions. 
still think a team like Detroit, like I'm, I have the literally the graphic from that Sportsnet segment on 32 Thoughts in front of me about where some of these coaches could go and some of the teams that they're associated with. I still feel there's like a team in there like Detroit. I, I have this weird feeling that Detroit's going to go off the board and not take any of those guys that are listed. I, I've been trying to ship Benoit Gru from the Syracuse Crunch to Detroit, just the natural connection with Eiserman working in the Lightning front office and Gru being one of the better coaches in the AHL. Like I've been trying to ship that and I, I don't have any intel on that. That's just something I just kind of see happening because I, I don't know. Like sometimes you think things are going to go a certain way but they don't always do it. And in this case, Detroit in this graphic is linked to Barry Trotz and Bruce Cassidy. And there's a very good possibility that both those coaches end up going elsewhere. That's just my gut feeling. And then towards probably to Philly, Rick Tockett is a very interesting wild card in this. I know he continues to get jobs. I could still see him going back to TNT next year if things don't necessarily work out the way that he might want to. And then Pete DeBoer might end up going to Dallas. Who knows? Uh, Jim Montgomery is also a really interesting name as well. Guy been out of the league. Like I'm, I'm intrigued at some of these names that are out there, but I just have this like gut feeling. It's not going to go as straightforward as we all think it might. No. And and I think your read on Detroit's correct. Like I've, I've spoken to quite a few people involved in these interviews and, and trying to get a sense of basically where the market is. And, and I've heard consistently that like Steve Eisman really keeping his cards close to the vest, not, not really tipping his hand, even when he speaks to candidates or, you know, some of the agents that handle the coaches about which way he's leaning. And, you know, look, I think that was a mark of what helped make the lightning organization so strong when Eisman was at the head of it uh, from a hockey ops standpoint was that they, they did things their own way. They, they weren't following whatever was popular in the moment or which way the wind was blowing, that they had a clear idea of what kind of players they wanted to get and, and how they were going to do it. And, and they did that to great success. And so I, I, I agree that if any team is sort of, if we want to say going off the board here, uh, and, and hiring someone that everyone goes, what? I, I think Detroit is most likely of the the nine total openings right now to, to do something maybe that's a little unexpected or, or not being rumored or speculated about uh, in the media. Let's move on uh, to the Edmonton Oilers, because there seems to be some discussion going around about Duncan Keith's future. And I want to read out this tweet uh, from your boys at Puckpedia. If Duncan Keith retired this summer, uh, his $5.5 million cap hit would be removed for the Edmonton Oilers, and they would actually get a $3.4 million recapture cap credit. So like a negative cap hit. The Blackhawks would have $7.5 million of recapture cap hit uh, allocated as 5.5 for next season and $2 million for the year after that. And then after that, there seems to be a report going around from Bob Stoffer. Uh, works with Oilers now, saying that the NHL's current position is that teams should not receive recapture cap credit benefit, even though it is outlined essentially in the CBA. And uh, my colleague at the Athletic, Daniel Nugent Bowman, says he's heard whispers of this as well. Uh, what, what's your read on this Duncan Keith situation? And it, I had no idea, or maybe I should have remembered this and I just didn't realize it, that a recapture cap credit like existed. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. If if you, oh yeah, I'm trying to remember. Um, I can picture the player, unfortunately. Who was a defenseman who got traded from Ottawa to Toronto, uh, had hip issues, and then then the Leafs bought him out. And hip injuries, unfortunately, his career. Jared Cowan. Oh, Jared yeah. Cowan. And so, and and the Leafs traded for his rights and bought him out, and actually got a cap recapture credit. Um, for doing so. And so, 
Look at the cap recapture rule is very controversial. Just a quick little annotated history is that, you know, in the early days of after the cap was brought in, a lot of players were signing contracts like Duncan Keith has, like Shea Weber has, like Sidney Crosby has, where there were years tacked on at the end of long-term deals that brought down the overall um, cap hit because they were like, I think Crosby, the next three seasons is getting paid like 3 million a year. Uh, you know, even though his cap hit will continue to be 8.7 million. And so basically the league took moves in the 2013 CBA to eliminate what you might call a loophole by first of all, limiting player contracts to be no longer than seven years. If you sign with someone else, eight years with your own team, but also introducing a cap recapture penalty. If those players that were signed prior to between 2005 and 2013 to these long-term deals retired early. And so in addition to there being a penalty, if you received a benefit, there, there is a credit in a case where the team was charged too much cap hit. And so this was a long way of saying that's been a controversial rule because it was brought in after contracts that were legal at the time were signed. You know, Vancouver got hit with a cap or capture penalty when Roberto Luongo retired mm -hmm. uh, recently. And it, it sounds like the league is not going to enforce the fact that there could be a credit in the Keith situation were he to retire now where this is not really a controversial thing is I don't expect Duncan Keith to retire so we're, we're dealing in the hypothetical here um you know I think this is a guy that still has money left to be made on his contract you know still wants to keep playing as long as he can and so I think a little bit this point is moot but I give Puck Pita credit for you know recognizing that basically by the, the structure of the contract Keith has, that if he were to retire, it could have a huge positive cap benefit um, to the Oilers. Uh, but as I say, I don't expect them to retire anyway. And it doesn't sound like the NHL is inclined to enforce the rule the way it was written. And that's been a rule again, that's been quite gray. And so I hope I haven't put you to sleep if you're not into the minutia of the way the CBA works, but you know, I think the league will be happy when all of those pre 2013 long-term deals are, are completely gone because that that recapture penalty is has been a bit of a lightning rod uh, in in various situations. Five point five million dollar cap hit that expires after the end of next season for Duncan Keith. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, very last thing I want to mention before we get to ask CJ. Last episode we tried to you know track what was going on with regards to the uh, sexual assault settlement with uh, Canadian Hockey League junior players and a woman who says who says she was sexually assaulted by them. Rick Westhead has been reporting a lot on this. Katie Strang for The Athletic has also been doing this. Uh, the latest update with that is that a standing committee on Canadian heritage is calling for members of Hockey Canada to testify at a hearing over this settlement. And it looks as if the hearing will be available to be viewed by the public via television and stream next week. Uh, a lot of people have been calling for this. We know about the fact that the Canadian government is calling for a financial audit of Hockey Canada as well. Um, I know we'll probably get more updates with regards to uh, what will be said next week. But I'm intrigued at the fact that this is something this is, again, a story that continues to develop and is something that not only is it something where we're going to hear people from Hockey Canada, you know, go to the stand and, and, and speak their piece, but it's something that's going to be available for public consumption. That is the part of this that, again, is, is kind of just, you know, buzzing in my mind that this is something that the powers around Hockey Canada seem to take very seriously. And not to mention the fact that the National Hockey League says that they are investigating the situation. Right. I don't know anything more on what, where things stand with the NHL at this point. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I have spoken to a few people 
pretty sharp people in the sport that have just noted that, you know, this is a pretty serious thing that Hockey Canada is now going to have to answer for publicly. I mean, you get called to, to the government chambers to discuss it. It's, you know, there's a tremendous amount of heat on them as an organization in terms of how they responded to this, how they handled it, you know, some question about whether it, it should be something that even, you know, could be, should be settled out of court with an NDA, um, you know, and so be, I think that the best bow we can put on it at this point is we certainly haven't heard the last of this story. I don't know if we'll ever learn the identities of John Doe's one through eight. I don't know if, if, you know, those players, if they're in the NHL will face uh, any subsequent kind of punishment from the league um, over time here, but certainly as an organization, Hockey Canada is being put under the radar to address, you know, how they, how they dealt with all this in, in the last three or four years, um, you know, from the night it happened in London till, till where we are now. And it's, it's not going to go quietly. And so, you know, we'll just keep following along as it goes, you know, read the, the great work of my colleague request Ed, Katie and see what happens with the government uh, next week. Absolutely. Uh, We'll be keeping tabs on that as well as other NHL news and notes. And with that, we've gone through the gamut of those news and notes. So with that, it's time. Uh, I understand it might be a bit of a tough transition here, but it's time for us to get to questions from you all on social media, off Twitter or off of Discord in a segment we'd like to call Ask CJ. We're going to take in some questions and then wrap this baby up. Um, Siege, this first one here comes from Spencer on radio on Twitter. Could a team legally trade a guy, have the other team buy them out, and sign them as a free agent? For example, could Toronto give Arizona a first-rounder to take Jake Muzzin with a wink-wink, nudge-nudge that they then buy out Jake Muzzin, making him a UFA that could go back and sign with Toronto? This seems like a really interesting, convoluted plan. Yes, and, and my understanding of the rule is, and I don't have the CBA in front of me, is that Anyone that you've traded within the last 12 months that gets bought out can't resign with you for 12 months. So it's it's a way around having this, this kind of loophole closed. So if it was the case of Muzzin and the Leafs traded him to Arizona, Arizona bought him out, Jake Muzzin couldn't resign with Toronto or Arizona for a 12-month period. Uh, so that's not something that can be done in the same offseason. But I guess if you want to play the really long game and bring them back a year down the road, but I think that's too many you know, variables because then Jake Muzzin could be a free agent this summer and sign somewhere else or, or any other player. I don't mean to make this about Jake being bought out. So, um, you know, basically the answer is no, a team can't do that. And, and it's because the league wants to close off as many ways as possible where you're, you're getting around the cap. This next one from B Jude 95 on Twitter, CJ, any opinions on donuts being a breakfast food? I'm a firm believer the donut is a breakfast pastry, but I've been told by close friends and family that I'm flat out wrong. Would love your thoughts on this. Cheers. Must confess, I, I do not eat breakfast, uh, so I, I don't have Ooh. strong feelings uh, on on what is or isn't a breakfast food. But you know, I think you should live your best life. If you want to have a donut in the morning, get after it. But make sure you get some workouts in to counterbalance the, those decisions. Probably a good idea. Uh, this next one uh, from Vista Radio Casey. Will the Sens be in on any big free agents? Depends how you define big. You know, like they're, they're not going to be hunting for Johnny Goodrow or Chris Letang, I don't believe. You know, the, the sort of biggest names that are hitting the market. You know, what Casey's probably pointing at is Claude Giroux. 
because I know there's been a lot of speculation about, you know, whether Claude might come back to Ottawa. He's got a lot of ties there, spends time there in the offseason. And, you know, I don't know that it can be completely ruled out, but at this point it seems as though Giroux's number one destination uh, would be to stay in Florida. Now the Panthers have some cap challenges this summer and they're going to have to make some decisions. And, you know, it may be while they did like the fit with Giroux that they're not able to extend him. And then we'll see if the Sens dive in there. But, you know, Ottawa does have some money. Uh, I believe that they have an ability or a desire to spend closer to the cap than they have in the past. And, you know, they, they want to take the next step. They want to take it this season. You know, we remember Pierre Dorian saying that they basically wanted them to be a, a playoff team this past year. They, they weren't really close. They were never really in that race, but I think there's some pressure to try to get them there next year. And so I would think that, that they'll be in the market for free agents. I just don't know if it'll be a quote unquote big name that they, they end up signing. Next one from Colin Basher. Any thoughts on if San Jose keeps Bob Bugner? They've been searching for a new GM and they haven't seemed well coached. So maybe the new GM gets to hire a coach he wants. My understanding is that they, they will keep Bugner, that he's safe for the time being. But, you know, anytime you get a new boss in these kind of situations, um, over time, things things could change. And so I, I, I would expect him to be behind the bench and, and running training camp in September and October. And then you go from there and see what kind of relationship he'll strike up with the new GM. And, and you know, there's, there's been times it's worked too. Like, let's, let's not forget that, yes, at, at times you sort of say, okay, GM gets to hire his own coach. But, you know, someone like Mike Sullivan has played under several GMs in Pittsburgh. You know, John Cooper was in Tampa when Julian Breesbaugh ascended to the throne, if you want to say that. And Breesbaugh has been loyal to him, even after they got swept out of the playoffs in 2019. And so I wouldn't presuppose that Bob Bugner won't survive under this new GM because there's there's lots of examples. If you look over history where it happens that, that you know, a, a GM will inherit a coach and, and it'll be a fine working relationship. But, you know, we won't know that until we know who the new GM is. I know the Sharks are narrowing in on their process and getting closer to naming that person. And so... We'll, we'll have a little bit more understanding, I think, when, when we find out who they hire and what that person has to say about the, the coaching staff's future. A few more are left to go here. From B. Griffin 95, who is more likely to be moved, David Pasternak or Alex Dabrinkit? I'd say Alex Dabrinkit. Um, you know, I, I actually believe there's a world where Pasternak resigns in Boston. You know, I know we, we dug in deep on the Bruins last week in our, in our shows mm-hmm. and um, you know, I don't really have a lot of new, fresh info on, on that situation since we talked then. But, you know, I, I think Pasternak really likes Boston. I think there's a good relationship between him and the team and the GM and the agent and all that stuff. And, and you know, they're going to sit down in July and see what kind of contract they can come up and see if he can be extended. You know, I think that the situation is a little different with the Brinkett. I mean, Chicago, much like the Ducks with, with Gibson, I mean, they've got a new GM. We've already seen that GM. Um, you know, trade away a guy like Brandon Hagel, just 23 years old, because the return was that good. And I think if they can get a strong enough return for Debrinket, they'll pull the, the trigger on, on that deal. Because, look, he's one year away from having a big uh, qualifying offer owed to him. And then he's one year beyond that from potentially being an unrestricted free agent. And so, you know, it's not clear what the future is for, for Debrinket, what he's going to be paid, if, if he's going to want to himself stay in Chicago long term. And so I think preemptively it makes sense to gauge the market uh, on a player like that and, and see, you know, what you might find. And so I think the break it is the more likely the two to be moved. There's a world where Pasternak's moved, of course, if he doesn't want to sign an extension this summer in Boston or they can't find agreement on terms. But at that at this point in time, I don't think those conversations are happening, whereas teams are open to call the Blackhawks and at least have a discussion about uh, what it might cost to get the break it. 
two final ones here, and they're both from Discord. This one from Dexter. Your discussion about adding postseason awards a few weeks ago got me thinking. Should we put more emphasis on the playoff points leader? Should there be a separate award for it? Should it mean more for potential Hall of Fame resumes? I would count that. You know, why not? You know, you, you have to be a great player on a great team generally to, to win the, the playoff scoring race. You know, over time, though, there's been some less heralded players. I remember David Krejci one year led it for Boston. I think it might have actually been two different years he's, he's led it. Um, you know, this year we might actually have Connor McDavid finish as the points leader, even despite getting swept in the third round and not getting a chance to play in the fourth round. But, you know, I, I think it should count. I mean, there's always an awkward dynamic with the NHL when we talk about how many games a player has played, how many goals he scored or points, because we, we disregard, we tend to disregard their, their playoff point totals entirely in those discussions. And to me, they should count for something. I, I realize it's not always a player's fault when he's not on a good enough team to play a bunch of playoff games to add there. But, you know, the, the flip side of that is Nikita Kucherov basically getting 30 points every an extra 30 points, every playoffs, you know, should count toward a standing. Now, of course, Kucherov, he's a hall of famer already anyway, but you know, I'm, I'm open to that. I think the playoffs should be, should be counted for something. It is a separate tournament. It's a set, separate sort of set of circumstances, but it's pretty important time of year. And, and we should recognize the players that step up and perform in those moments. Last one from SDPN underscore Habs fan. Maybe this person will be someone we'll see at the SDPN fan appreciation night on July 8th uh, in Montreal. Well, we're going to be there. So uh, maybe we'll see you there. SDPN underscore Habs fan with rumors of New Jersey potentially shipping their second overall pick. Who would they most likely try to acquire in exchange? Tough one. You know, I, Look, the Devils, they're, they're kind of been hanging around trying to, to take a next step for a while. They have some nice young players. I know Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes have each had some injury issues the last few years, but when they've been healthy and on the ice, the results are there. And so if you're trading a second overall pick or really anywhere in the top 10, you're trying to bring in established help. And so, you know, I can't give you the name. I, I can't give you the hot rumor because I haven't heard who they're going to trade that for but you know in a draft like this one I think it's more likely we see some of the top picks move just because there's not really consensus at the top in terms of who the absolute best prospects are I mean you might order it in a couple different ways uh, between Wright and Cooley and and I got to learn how to properly say that the Slovak player's name but I Slavkovsky I don't want exactly I just don't want to butcher it that's not that's not why I'm I'm avoiding it Um, Mm -hmm. but you know teams might have those players completely one two or three depending on your, your draft list and what your scouts think. And so when you have that sort of year, the conditions are there to, to have a trade and maybe we'll get some fireworks on the trade front uh, on the draft floor on July 7th. I'd, I'd gladly take that because um, you know, I think it adds a little bit of spice and drama to those evenings. Man, I can't wait for that draft week. You already hear me, heard me mention it, the fan appreciation night on the 8th, but of course the NHL draft on the 7th in Montreal. It promises to be a very busy and entertaining time in the world of hockey and you and I will be there and the SDPN will be there. Everybody's coming into Montreal. It's going to be lit. Love it. It's going to be fun, man. I don't even, I don't know all the details. I know I'm going to be there. I got to find a good uh, craft beer selection and hopefully we can have uh, a relaxing time with our fans. Cause you guys, uh, you guys make the show go. Exactly, man. Looking forward to seeing everyone at Lacage, which shout out to Lacage being remodeled from casual spa and, 
being this super sexy place now. Anyway, whatever. Uh, shout out to everyone listening and watching this episode. We appreciate y'all. Uh, tune in on Thursday for a brand spanking new episode of our fine show. Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page. Subscribe to the SDPN Discord. We will have stick taps on Thursday and uh, other fun stuff. And we'll have analysis of game one of the Stanley Cup final by then because it will have already happened on the Wednesday night. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and enjoy this year's Stanley Cup final. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.